0: If you have your Bibles, would you open um, them up to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3, verses, 7, verses 1 through 17 is where we're going to be putting our attention in this morning. And it's all continuing this theme of what it means to be gospel people. For the last few weeks, we've been able to take this kind of chunk of time in our sermon summer series to focus in on the first three chapters of Colossians. This is a, Paul, this is a, a letter written by Paul to the Colossian church. And it, if we could look at the broad summer, if we could uh, put Colossians in one sentence, it would say, Jesus is everything, and you are gospel people. And so that's what we've been kind of focusing our attention on, is looking at this. And this week is the last week that we're going to be in Colossians 3, or the last week in Colossians. And over these last weeks, as we've been reading Colossians, we've also been asking questions along the way. Paul is kind of answering these, these for us. But our first one that we asked was, well, if we are a gospel people, what does that mean? What What is, what what does it mean to be gospel people? That's Colossians chapter 1. Helps us understand that it means that we are saved by Jesus and set apart to serve others with joy, purpose, and energy. And we do so because we love God's word. It unifies us and it grounds us and it captivates us. So then we asked, the second question which Colossians chapter 2 asked us, which means, if we're then a gospel people, how does the world distinguish the church? How does the church present herself to the world? Colossians 2 answers that by saying, because gospel people love the word. We are lovers of the word. The scriptures are given to us to bring unity, to ground us. To captivate us by revealing the mysteries of Jesus to us. So as we see those two things, we're a gospel people, we're set apart to be holy, to follow Jesus. Jesus is everything to us. We love the scriptures. We love the word as it reveals the mystery of Jesus to us. Now we're kind of answering and asking this third question, which is if we are a gospel people, servants of Jesus, who love the word. How do we do that? It's a good practical question. And this morning, our passage practically explains the dynamics for living in the Word. Living in the Word is putting our hope in Christ, putting away old vices, and putting on new virtues. That's what we're going to be putting our attention into this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your grace this morning. We ask you, God, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to receiving your message this morning, to receiving your word. We pray that you would be with us, that you would be guiding us, and revealing to us the mysteries that are in Christ. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you've noticed, but there are, um, like, I, it feels to me like we don't make new movies anymore. We just remake old movies in like five to 10 different ways. You know, it's like the, the movie industry has said like, well, we, from 1960 to 2000, we did a really good job making movies. 2020 and beyond, we, we're, we're just going to redo the old stuff. So I've seen different versions of Pinocchio, like eight different times, in eight different types of ways. But one that really stood out to me was the one that was in 2008. See, I don't even know if it's from Disney or who it's by. It's just there's so many of them now. But there's this one scene that I thought was pretty captivating, where Pinocchio just comes to life. And it's not, it's like a, it's the, the live action, so it's not the cartoon form. It's this real life thing in Geppetto. The wood carver, the wood maker, he's he's, uh, just made him and he's kind of astonished at what has just happened. And he's looking at Pinocchio and he's like holding his arms. He's looking at his face and he has always desperately wanted a son, only to now have this kind of moment and he's trying to figure out if he's dreaming. But he says to him, You're alive. Do you understand? You're alive. And Pinocchio happily repeats, I'm alive, I'm alive. And then a thoughtful look comes over Pinocchio's face. What do you mean I'm alive? What does that mean? Geppetto says, well, unless I'm going mad and this isn't a dream, it means you have a life to live. And Pinocchio asks again, what do you have a life for? And is this a good thing or a bad thing? And Geppetto's trying to stop him, but he's asking fairly deep questions just within the first 20 seconds of his life. Where he says, no, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. What do you have a life for? Um, I'll have to think about that. And that's that's where it moves on. And then the scene kind of moves on for them enjoying their time. But I like that response because I felt like we could each identify with that when some when people would ask us, why do you believe? What, what, what does it mean for you to live in Christ? I think it can be easy to try to stumble through answering that question. What does it mean to live in the word? And in this book, we have come to believe the Bible. It, we have come to believe that it is God's living and active word. And through it, we believe that Jesus is our salvation. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, there's grace and forgiveness. Yes, it is true. But still, sometimes I can stumble over answering the question, how do I live in the Word? And so Paul helps us by getting really practical here in answering this question. The first dynamic of living in the Word is as gospel people, we are, when we are living in the Word, we are putting our hope in Christ. So this is verses 1. We're just going to focus on verse 1 for right now. And it means that we are not seeking the truth in the things around us in momentary joys or satisfactions that we would find, but we are seeking the things above. So let's read verse 1 together. So if you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And so this is a continuation of the passage just before it, where Paul is basically telling us old truths don't evolve into new truths. Old truths don't evolve into new truths. Old truths stay the same and have the same impact for the believer as they do when you first heard them. Right? So here's our job. If you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things above. Your hope is not found here. Your hope is in Christ who is above. So what does that mean? It means holiness. It means heavenly joy. Christ-like character. His presence Seeking is an ongoing effort. Something that we are to strive and and move towards. To put an ongoing effort in. To put our hope in Jesus. Is to seek him in everything that we do. There's no place within us that is out of bounds for Jesus. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus tells us, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Now, that's a verse that we hear often. Because when we're thinking through it and we're, we're asking, what does that mean? It, it really does mean those things. Ask, seek, knock. Have this ongoing effort of seeking Christ in everything. And that's why our seeking primarily comes through prayer the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is having this immediate access to the things above. Right? But I don't know about you, but if you've, if you've prayed at all, if you're like me, sometimes receiving and identifying these heavenly things I think can be kind of tough. Because we do have skewed moments. We do have a heart that, can be, that is deceitful, that changes, that sometimes skews our, our, our view of things. So seeking them can be kind of difficult, but at the same time, there's always an access to it through the Holy Spirit, and the seeking helps bring clarity as well, right? I, but I've certainly had moments when I've sought things, I've sought heavenly things only to learn that I actually missed a truth. My immaturity caused me to overlook my behavior. I was praying for something to happen to someone in a way that may not have been, uh, wasn't reflective on what I could have done in, in that moment. Right? And sometimes I've even flat out refused obedience when I've received that. But Jesus, through his spirit, had kept prodding me, To continue seeking. And I hope that you also think back on your growing life in prayer and seeing this maturing, seeing this moving towards Christ in the same time. The act of seeking depends on the set of mind. We We could flip that around too and say... What we set our minds on determines what we seek. Let me say that one more time. What we set our minds on determines what we seek. Verses 2 through 4. It says, if we're trying to seek the things above, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him. And glory. I remember when I got my first bass guitar when I was 13. It was like this new guitar that my mom had gotten me. And I immediately fell in love with this instrument. And I remember every waking moment I would be spending thinking about it. When I would wake up in the morning, I, it would sleep next to my bed. I like had the, the bass stand. I would put it right there. I'd sleep. I'd fall asleep looking at it. I'd wake up. Taking it, I'd play it, whatever I could. And then when I was in school, when I was away from it, I would draw it. And then when I, and then when I came home, I would play it again. And when I would come home, I would rush to my, um, to, this is gonna be a shout out to my dial up computer. Guys, remember that? And I would sit for fifteen minutes while I was like, right. And I'd just be like, this is awesome because I'm going to download sheet music. I'm going I'm to download. And this was like, I wasn't allowed to get Napster on my computer because I think my mom thought it was illegal, which I think it, I don't know if it was or not, but I think it was. And um, so I was going analog. I would print the music after it downloaded for 15 minutes. I'd take the music, then I'd find my CDs. I'd put it in the stereo, but I didn't have an amp yet. So I would just hold the bass really close to my head. And I would just try to play and and read the music. This was a a day process. This This took time. This took energy. But my mind was completely absorbed and focused on this new passion that I had had, this new joy. I was concentrating harder than I had ever had done in my life before on this singular thing to be better at playing this instrument. And when I became a Christian, one of the first convictions I had that someone asked me was, Mark, do you love Jesus more than you like playing bass? It's like, oh, that hurt. (laughs) The first challenge I faced was setting my mind on Jesus and seeking him more than my personal aspirations. It was a mental practice to set my base down and set my mind on Christ. And I learned quickly, very quickly, even as a, as a teenage Christian, that I didn't become a Christian because it was always going to be fun. There was a discipline that I was learning, a new practice of laying down something to pick up something even better and set my mind on Jesus. The the good news of that truth, and the bad news of that truth is, the good news is it still stays the same. And the bad news is, is, for what a bass guitar was once when I was a teenager, now I could say it's something else. The practice and discipline of setting my mind on Jesus still needs to be practiced. I still need to do that. I still need to set my mind on Jesus with the same type of focus and tenacity that I did when I was a teenager as I looked at this bass guitar as like this amazing thing. But Jesus is so much better. Jesus is so much better. There's so much reward in what he brings to us in our lives. So a question I wanted to ask you is what do you think about when you have nothing else to do? What do you think about when you have nothing else to do that often will answer for us what we're setting our minds on? And I'm not, necess- I'm not talking about the, the time that you spent at work, I'm not even talking about daydreaming because daydream is really important, kind of helps the creative process, right? Sometimes even zoning out. I'm talking about the quiet moments when you are aware of yourself. What then are you thinking about? What are you setting your mind on when you are aware of yourself? Proverbs 22 verse 17, it says, listen closely, pay attention to the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. What we are lacking is discipline, not access. God helps us and prods us through the spirit to say seek the things above set your minds on Jesus Christ's fullness has passed into our emptiness and his righteousness into our sin in, into our sinfulness and his life into our death because of that we have full access to God through Jesus, who is our hope? As we put our hope in Christ, our discipline moves in and becomes refined. And even if we have the same struggle of thinking about other things, setting our minds on, on different things, the more and more that we read the scriptures and we seek Jesus in everything that we do, our minds become faster and faster at seeking Jesus and applying it to our daily lives. And so what does that mean? It means for us, when we are living out our faith, when we are walking in obedience with Christ, it means that we're putting our hope in Christ. And as that as a gospel person, as a gospel people, we are also putting away Old vices. So this is verse 5 through 8. Why don't you read this with me? Cuz Paul's going to unpack this for us. He says, "Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature: sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is, idol- which is idolatry." Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. So there's an interesting dynamic here. Because as Paul just said, we've already died, right? We are already died, but now he's saying we should put ourselves to death. So what, what, what's happening here? What's, what's going on? How can both be true? As believers who've been raised with Christ, we have put to death our old life. And now we walk in our new life with Christ. Our new life in Christ. And that comes with a committed obligation, even reality, to walk in the manner worthy of our calling. So that's what it means by that, that dynamic. Paul's list is a specific aim to address the most subtle, the most enticing, and the most dangerous passions that humans in, humankind will all experience. For the Colossians, it's just like us. It's this, they're experiencing a culture all around them directly opposed to this new way of life. So here's an, here's an example of what I mean by that. Chastity was a brand new virtue introduced by the church. During that time, chastity stood in direct opposition to temple worshipers who would uh, put out prostitutes and, and have this uh, sexual worship. And so people would look at the church and they would say they're practicing this new virtue called chastity. And it was the church that exemplified that holiness and purity and the sanctity of marriage to a culture all around them that was not practicing that and did not understand and didn't get it, where it was coming from. It was a a seeking of things above, right? A culture of sex, promiscuity, lust, evil desires were not seen as evil but as good. Paul had the same message for Ephesus as he did in the Ephesians church when they struggled out to make this difference. He says in Ephesians 4, just like what we read up here, he said, They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, As the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity and truth. Jesus speaks of this by saying, too, this is so important for you, That if one body part is causing you to stumble, cut it off, right? Now, he's not actually saying cut off your your limbs and body parts, but he's saying take it with such seriousness that you would be doing that. Put to death the things that are enticing you towards evil desires. Proverbs also speaks of this. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? That's Proverbs 6. Note that the earthly nature of of our past lives as unbelievers always has a physical element to it. And all attempts, and all of these attempts are meant to make and uh, elevate counterfeit gods. And when we were dead in our sin, we didn't know any of the difference. But now you do know Looking at Luke, when Jesus was telling everybody, he said, blessed are you because you do see. You do see the difference now. So Paul is saying, live like it. Show the world what the difference is, the difference that Jesus makes. Don't let these vices resurrect an old life within you. Their desire is to reclaim ...and convince you of what you are not. Let me say that again. Their desire is to reclaim and convince you of what you are not. So kill them. You have already been claimed. God alone looks on your life and says mine. And in the face of adversity and temptation... We have the power, you have the power to say, I am His. And if you've struggled with this, if you've struggled with the thought of killing your old way of life, moving beyond, walking in obedience to Christ and holiness and in purity, know first that others have shared in the same struggle as early as the church was born into existence. It's not a new thing. But the church is also the first gathered people that sought to encourage one another to persevere in the faith. When one struggled, this is the difference. When one struggled, everyone struggled. That's the new dynamic. One's problems are everyone's problems. This is a joint effort. This is carrying each other's burdens. This is recognizing the temptations or difficulties that one has and absorbing them to move together as one body in obedience to Jesus. Yes, the church has always struggled in these problems, individually and collectively, but it's also the church has persevered in the faith. If we are to persevere in the faith and to seek the things above, We need to support one another to set our minds on Jesus in the everyday moments of life. And we need each other to do so. That's why Paul continues to say in verses 9 through 10, he says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. It is gospel people who put away old vices and put on new virtues. He goes on to say in verses 12 through 16, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, and in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another through the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We could spend that just chunk right there, we could spend a lifetime on those verses. But look at the order. Just notice the order with me. Putting away old vices, which we all have, means, leads to putting on new virtues that we are all given. First, we experience these impacts of these virtues personally. There's a personal impact happening. And that gentleness and that patience moves to affect other people. It spreads, it multiplies out. Which then leads to love and the bond of unity. Peace, wisdom, gratitude and worship follow as the collective response of thankfulness. Thankfulness leads to worship every time. That's that's, That's this pattern that we get to see of personal change, personal growth, of the putting on these new virtues, practicing them, multiplying them out, and then a collective experience and a collective gratitude and praise each of us is a new creation slaying old vices we are not yet entirely what we are going to be so we need to bear with one another in the process a lot of times we think of bear with one another as like let's just put up with one another right let's just bear this. It, ha- it kind of has a negative tinge to it. But it's not, that's not at all what Paul is trying to explain here. It's not put up with one another until things get a little bit better. No, it's, it's absorb yourself in one another's lives to encourage one another so that this response of worship and praise is genuine and it's not fake. That means that you can't lie. That means stop lying to one another. That means when it's easier to not say the truth than to say it, you say it. Because the unity that you have is far more important than just trying to bear or trying to get along. There needs to be more at stake here. Each virtue Paul listed is also, I want you to notice, an attribute of God's character. Each one. You could easily say, Jesus is compassionate to the needy. So put on his compassion. Jesus is humble or lowly and gentle in heart to the sinner and the sufferer. So put on his humility and gentleness. Jesus forgave you when you were at your worst. And even asked God to forgive those were around him, you too forgive others. Jesus is our ultimate example of what it means to forgive. When he was on the cross being crucified, he looked down at the people who were mocking him, who were crucifying him, and he said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. Jesus teaches us how to forgive. So we want to ask How can I do that? When I have been, I have a lifetime of hurts. I have a lifetime of suffering. A lifetime of regrets. Perhaps you're asking that same thing. Verse 15 and 16, they help us by repeating verses 1 and 2. How can you do that? How can you forgive in the midst of difficulty? in the midst of pain and suffering in a lifetime of regret you can do so by seeking the things above in those moments when it feels so much better to dwell in anger to wish something against someone else who's hurt you set your mind on christ Put. Put away the old vices. Put on the new virtues that Jesus has given you access to. It is not a matter of access. It is a matter of discipline. And the Holy Spirit ministers to us because God knows the reality of how hard it is. He knows. Jesus sympathizes with us seeking peace and gratitude. We have to recognize that in all of this, we are not alone. We are together. We are not just a gospel person. We are gospel people. So let it dwell richly among you. That's verses 15 and 16. Listen to its wise teaching and instruction. Your learning will turn to praise. And praise is going to turn to perseverance. That's why we can say with 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Seeking the things above, setting our minds on Jesus, putting away the old vices, putting on the new virtues. This is what it means to be a gospel people I was at a birthday party uh, yesterday. I was with, with my kids, and I was talking to uh, Nathan Laurie's dad. Uh, he's a deep guy. I know you guys don't know him, so I'm just telling you, he's awesome. Uh, anytime I talk to him, he gets to the very heart of something like very quickly. And he was talking to, and we were talking about churches, and we were talking about finding churches, and um, his whole process of when they moved into this place, and they were looking around and. And he said something that that just stuck with me, and I was thinking, I was kind of chewing on it for the rest of the day, where he says, he's talking about different churches and and churches being defined by their dramas and not by their beliefs. But this is what he said. He goes, if Jesus went through everything he went through and died for the church, I sure want to be a part of it. But yeah, we're all a bit nuts. And I thought, I really like the way you're explaining this. <laughs> There's this desire and this reality at stake here. We do not want to be as a church defined by drama. We don't want to be defined by that because Jesus, for everything that he died for, invites us to be a part of that. And yeah, I want to be a part of that. But I do recognize there are problems, there are difficulties that all of us Share together. How much more beautiful would it be. When the church. Shows to the world. What reconciliation is. What forgiveness is. In a world where it's. Far more virtuous. To hold bitterness and resentment. And take vengeance. We have the opportunity. To really show what forgiveness is. To bless in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering. That's the power that we have. That's the power that Jesus has given us. We live in a, while we live in this world, we need to put our hope in Christ. Put away the old vices that attempt to convince you of what you are not. You are a new creation. You are alive in Jesus. Jesus loves you. The Bible is your source of wisdom and all understanding. Not only do you have access to God, you also have a community of people to belong. This new life that you have, Jesus died for, And has raised you into. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So as we end our time. I'd just like to leave you with verse 17. Where it says. And whatever you do. In word or in deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together and let that be our prayer.